hate you don't make it bad take a sad song and make it better remember to let her into your heart then you can start to make it better hate you don't be afraid You're made to go out and get her The minute you let her under your skin Then you begin to make it better Thank you there, Jeff. You guys... I might get criticized for letting Jeff play that song in church, but can you guys guess what the sermon series we are moving on to? Esther. Esther. Good guess. The book of Jude, if you guys have not picked that up. Hey, Jude, thank you. So we're going to be turning to a sermon series. Um, I enjoy taking on tough, tough challenges, and I feel like this this year so far, I've been wanting to tackle subjects and books that maybe we haven't really explored a whole lot. The book of Jude is a very short book in the New Testament. It comes right after 3 John and right before the book of Revelations. But it is one of those forgotten books. Nobody really preaches on this book. I don't know if you have ever heard a sermon on this book. Has anyone in this room heard a sermon on the book of Jude? Oh, 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 Ben. Ben has. Thanks, Ben. There is one guy out of all of us. So, so this book has been neglected. Um, but I think that it is very relevant for us today. So I'd like for us to turn to the book of Jude this morning, and we are going to start with the first four verses today. If you guys will please stand as we read God's Word this morning. Jude, I wanted to say chapter 1, but there's only one chapter. So Jude 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Verse 2, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, I ask that you would help us to see your word clearly today. Father, I desire to see you glorified, desire to see you honored. Father, come and speak to us through your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Now, today I want to start by looking at the first couple of verses of this letter because I think it's really important for us to understand the tone of this letter. 
You know, anytime you read written word or maybe uh, you can sometimes like read words and maybe some of you here have received a text message from time to time where you didn't quite understand the person's tone behind it. I don't know if you've ever received a text message like that where you receive it and you read it and your perceived tone of that text could become negative. Now, maybe you ask the person, hey, what did you mean by that? Or maybe you secretly are holding passive-aggressive feelings towards certain people, and uh, you've never talked about it, and you never will talk about it, but you secretly want to hurt them. I don't think that's any of you, but it is important for us to understand the tone of this letter, because as we get into the body of this letter, we can forget how Jude starts this letter. So I want us to kind of see who and how Jude is addressing his people. So in verse 1, It says this, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, many of us probably don't even know who this Jude is. In this opening line, we don't really get to fully know who this guy is, but Jude's full name is Judas, and they shortened it to Jude because they did not want to confuse this Judas with another Judas. Judas Iscariot, the one who portrayed or betrayed Jesus. So the title of this, or the opening words is Jude, and we're trying to figure out who is this Jude. Now, many of you guys may realize this or may not know this, but look at Mark chapter 6, verse 3. We're going to find out who this Jude really is. It says, is this not the carpenter, they're talking about Jesus, the son of Mary? And brother of James. And, I don't know, Joseph? Garrett? Sure. And Judas? And Simon? The opening book of Jude, is we don't fully see this right away, but Jude is actually the brother of Jesus. That Jude grew up in the household that Jesus grew up in. He's the brother of James, but he's also the brother of Jesus. But we, don't, we do not see that here. Judas starts off by saying, Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus' brother, and if I grew up in the household of Jesus, and if I was penning a letter, the first words would be, Jeff, brother of Jesus. I would want the entire world, I would probably even get like a t-shirt maybe, Maybe Linnea could like make up like a t-shirt where it says, you know, it just says Jeff and then it says brother of Jesus and I get like a baseball cap. But what we see here is that within the opening words of the book of Jude is Jude wants his readers to understand who he is. The most important thing is not that he was a physical brother of Jesus, but his opening words are Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus. And this word servant can also be translated within the Greek as a slave to Christ Jesus. Judas is making his listeners understand he does not hold a high position. He is simply a servant. He is a slave to Christ. His obedience and his loyalty is to Christ and to Christ alone. And then he reminds us that he is also the brother of James, which is just another brother that Jesus had. But Jude says this to his listeners. Who is he writing to? In Jude 1, 
to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. He uses three words here to remind his listeners who they are. This is who Jude is. He is a servant of Christ. But who is Jude writing to? He is writing to the men and women who are called, who are beloved, and who are kept for Christ Jesus. That first word, those who are called, when you read throughout Scripture, you will see this word, to the called. The called is basically to the Christians, to the believers, basically reminding us that God has called you to himself. Now, this is debatable, and people have been arguing about what does this exactly mean, but the Scripture teaches that God has a desire for all men to become saved and come to the knowledge of the of the truth. And the called, the Christians, are those who have answered that call. That God has called his people. And he says, you are a beloved people in God. That God has not abandoned you. That you are not just some random people. He is writing to God's people, the called, his followers, his people. And he reminds his listener that you are the beloved people. Not only are you beloved, but you are found to be in God. And that phrase is, is so fascinating, and, and Garrett touched on this one last week. By the way, Garrett, excellent message last week. But I want to kind of turn our attention to this idea of being in God, being in Him. Out of Philippians chapter 3, these are verses Garrett quoted last week, verses 8 and 9. Paul says this, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, in verse 9, and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Jude is reminding his listeners who they are. That they are found, and they are to be in the Lord, that they are the beloved people, then he says this word, they are the kept people for Jesus Christ. That God's people are kept for Jesus, for Jesus' coming, when Jesus re returns, his people are kept for him. The Thalessians, <laughs> Thalessians, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body, think about that, everything, whole spirit and soul and body be kept in blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are people that are waiting for our Savior to come. And the opening of Jude is very clear. This is who Jude is. He's a servant. He's a brother of James, but he is writing to God's people. And this is important for us to understand. Jude is not writing this letter to people that do not know Christ. He is writing specifically to God's people, his beloved people, his people that are found to be in him, those people that are kept for the coming of Jesus. And then in verse 2, and you might be sitting here thinking, Pastor, this is a long time on verse 1. Look at verse 2. Jude has a prayer for God's people. He says, May mercy, peace, 
and love be multiplied to you. Now, this is a pretty typical opening letter as you read the New Testament and the writers write. A lot of times, Paul, instead of saying mercy, he will say grace. But Jude is writing, and Jude is reminding them who they are, but Jude has this prayer for them. May, Jude is praying, may these three things be multiplied in your life. May mercy, peace, and love be growing within God's people. And I brought up earlier about the the tone because it's really important for us to kind of understand where Jude is starting from here because as we get into this letter, which I don't know how many weeks we're going to be in Jude. If we're only doing four verses today, we might be in Jude until October. We don't know. But it's important for us to understand the tone of who Jude is writing to. He's writing to God's people, who we are and what our lives should reflect. Because Jude is about to get into some serious correction. Jude's letter is probably the most politically incorrect letter in the entire New Testament. It's a very offensive letter. Jude is going to go down many rabbit trails. And as you read it, you may forget the tone Jude is writing in. So let's dive in to the letter here. In verse 3. Look at that, church. We are We are halfway done with the verses this morning. Verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 4, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude wanted to write to God's people about something else. We see that in verse 3. If you can pull that one back up. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, Jude wanted to send a letter reminding and encouraging the church. He wanted to write to them about their common salvation. He wanted to reiterate the salvation of Jesus to God's people. But he says, I couldn't. I wanted to write about this, but my plans have changed. I have to address an issue. And the issue that that came to Jude is an issue that is so important. This issue is so important that Jude had to deviate from his original plan. And this issue must be addressed. Verse 3 says, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to contend for the faith. This is verse 3. That was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude said this issue is so important. I'm writing this issue to you because you need to contend for the faith. To contend, intense effort, a conflict, a contest, a debate, or legal suit. In other words, this is a serious struggle, church, and I have to address this to you in this letter. And what are they contending for? What's the prize. 
that Jude is writing this. He said, I'm writing to you because you need to contend for the faith. What is at stake? The faith. Really think about that. Have you ever thought like the faith is at stake ever in our lives? But Jude is painting this and he's saying, listen, there are some issues that we need to contend with. And the problem and what is at stake is the faith. The faith that has been delivered to the saints. The faith that has come to God's people. The faith that has been passed down. The faith that is found to be from the apostles' teachings and from God's word. Look at Acts 2.42. This is in the early church. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, and to breaking of bread, and to prayers. Romans 6.17, it says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching in which you were committed. Jude is writing because there is an issue. There is something that has to be fought for. There is something that has to be contended for. And remember who Jude is writing to. He's writing to the church. He's writing to God's people. He's writing to the people that are supposed to be men and women who have the faith in Christ Jesus. The Christian faith, which has not changed, is foundational to any church, to every church. But the problem here, as Jude says in verse 4, for certain people have crept in, unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people, verse 4 says, who pervert the grace of God of our Lord into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of things stand out to me here. Jude is saying, and as he's write, writing this letter, he says, Church, I wanted to write about something else, but I couldn't. Because there is an issue at hand that we have to realize what is at hand. And then Jude goes right to the heart. He says, Listen, you've got people amongst you, you've got people in your body that are not with you. These people do not share the faith that has been passed down from the apostles and that has been passed down to the saints. And he says, listen, this is a serious issue. There is danger within you. And these people, they've crept in, he says. They're they're unnoticed. These people seem like they're part of everything else. They show up on Sundays. They're they're there with you. But he says, listen, these people are not. Now, these are really harsh words, and these are words that we don't really use these days, right? When was the last time you heard somebody say that phrase? There's ungodly people here. Have we ever used like that like phrase for anything? Been like, well, We've got people within our walls, within our church on Sunday morning. We would consider them to be ungodly people. Designated for condemnation. These are terms we'd never use. But as Judas penning this letter, he's, 
he's pointing out these things. And within our today's world, I realize this is like politically incorrect, that we, we can't have any judgment, we can't say anything, we can't point out anything. Like say, we have to live in such a way to where we don't offend anyone. We have to be really, really careful about the words that we choose. We can't call anybody ungodly. We can't look at somebody's life and say, hey, maybe there's something that's not quite lining up here. We live in a world where it says we don't question anything. We just, we're, we're happy that you're coming on a Sunday and good job. And we pat you on the back and we send you out the door. But Jude's letter, Jude is saying you need to contend for the faith because the faith itself is at stake. He says this on how to identify such faith. He says, first, they changed the grace of God into a license for immorality. Their understanding of grace and perhaps forgiveness of sins lends them to feel free to indulge in all forms of sensuality. It's okay. We're boyfriend and girlfriend. It's no big deal. We can, you know, we're just sleeping around a little bit, but don't worry. I'm a Christian. I go to church. This is the type of things Jude is like pointing out here. He's saying, listen, you've got people within you that are saying, hey, they claim to be Christians, but their lifestyle and really their, their true beliefs do not match up. They don't understand God's grace upon their lives. Their grace is cheap. Grace without repentance or even grace that grants license to sin. They forget what Romans 6 says when Paul says, shall we continue to sin so grace may abound? Paul says, by no means. But he is saying that there is people within you that don't have an understanding of grace. They may say, I'm saved by grace, but their lifestyle says, I get to live however I see fit to live. I don't have to abide by the laws of the Bible. I don't have to listen to God's word because, Pastor, I, I feel saved. I feel like I'm a good person, so I'm totally cool. Don't you dare question my lifestyle and my choices. And ultimately, what Jude is saying, which he says in verse 4, he says, they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They don't realize that there is a connection between their faith and their lifestyle. And I realize it's silence in here because we do not talk about such things and it's almost like, Pastor, this sounds pretty judgmental here. This sounds pretty, pretty terrible here. What I'm saying is that church family, as Jude writes this letter, he's saying, listen, we need to contend for this faith. That this faith is at stake. Is that when people don't have the faith of what God's word says, their lifestyle will reflect it. It's a super big deal. It's a major deal. Biblical faith is very important to preserving God's church. And I say this because as you read the, the history books, throughout church history, there's always been times when God's people have to stand up and be firm in their faith to proclaim biblical truths. Times when God's church has to stand against false teachings and idolatry. And Jude is writing this to within the church. 
See, a lot of people, many people think the greatest threat to Christianity is the world around them. Many people, like, believe this. They think that, like, persecution is going to somehow kill off God's church. Or that laws of the land will somehow affect God's church. That, like, hey, you know, if America bans free speech and, and like, all of this other stuff, like, oh, this is really going to hurt God's church. It doesn't. I'm telling you, like, as you read the history books, look at China, look at, like, Afghanistan. Christianity is illegal, and it's flourishing. The number one thing that will kill God's church is within. The beliefs within. It's it's not secularism. It's not the rise of atheism. War cannot harm God's church laws of the land. The greatest threat to the church has always come from within. When things come within any organization, and you, those of you who are in business or own a company or have, have worked at different companies, the most damaging thing to a company or to any sort of organization is not outside. Many people think like, you know, hey, I've got this company, I'm trying to become a really good company, we're trying to grow, we're trying to like flourish here, but I've got all these outside threats. As you study companies, it's like the threat always comes from within. The people are not unified. The people are not on the same page. They don't all believe the same mission of the company, and it ends up just failing. And the same is true within God's church. Within, throughout all of human history, the most devastating things to God's church has always come from those within his church. You might be thinking, who am I kicking out today? I've got a list, don't worry. The biblical faith that we have to fight for, that we have to contend for, should we argue about it outside of these church walls? Sure, maybe. But the biggest issue is, is faith within these church walls. We come, we gather. Are we men and women that believe in the biblical truths together? A new study out of Ligonier Ministries, I've got it up here. This is among evangelicals. You probably saw this one online here as well, but I thought that it's very fitting. This is some of a study within evangelicals. So evangelicals would be men and women that would proclaim to be born again in America. 31% say science disproves the Bible. 33% say gender is a choice. 38% say Jesus was not God. These are people that are within church walls. This isn't just like, what does our culture say? This is within us. 62% say God accepts all religions. Interesting. 62% say the Holy Spirit is the force. I find that one to be interesting. Like, Garrett, I I could just like pick you up like by the neck, like with the force right now. 66% say people are good by nature. I like that one. That is the complete opposite of what Scripture teaches. And 75% say God first created Jesus. Now you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal here, Pastor? Two, three quarters of evangelicals in the U.S. 
Think that God created Jesus? He wasn't created. He's always been. In the beginning, let us, plural, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right there. Jude is saying, church, you are called, you are loved by God. I pray mercy and peace and love will be multiplied to you. But I need you to contend for the faith. Because there is a lot at stake. And church family, as you read the, the history books, I, I think about Charles Spurgeon, which if you have never read any, any of Charles' work, please Google him. There's a website devoted to him. Read Charles' work. Charles, uh, his last several years, he spent um, fighting for the faith. And what I mean by that is that he was combating and he was going up against other Christians, other believers, and in, in, in standing firm in what God's Word says. He was the editor-in-chief of a magazine called The, the Sword and the Trowel. And the magazine had two agendas, fighting air in the church and building up the church. He fought hard against biblical air because he saw what was coming out. At the turn of the, of the late 1800s, Spurgeon saw the theology, the study of God, the, the beliefs the church was talking about and expressing. And this goes back to the late 1800s. He saw that there was uh, theologians coming out of Germany and coming out all across Europe, leaders that were straying away from biblical truths. Their argument was this, was that the Bible is too harsh. We need to become more palatable for the world around us. Times are changing. We need to somehow change with the times. This is in like the 1800s. Spurgeon contended for the faith. And I would argue that if you look at Germany today, which was one of the countries at the late 1800s that had some of the most liberal theological lessons coming out of, you see what happens. Where is Germany at today as far as faith goes? They're dead. Like, they've got beautiful churches, right? They've got these buildings. People go there and look at them for, like, architectural reasons. The faith within Germany is basically, it's gone. I've got a missionary friend that, that, that is in Berlin, or I should say heading there. They said 1% of men and women living in Berlin have a biblical faith. Well, what killed it? How did this happen? Europe, Germany, think about Germany. Germany was like... When you look at the 1500s and read history, Germany was at some of the like forefront of the Reformation, Christianity, bringing the gospel message. They were flourishing. You go to Germany now, Christianity doesn't exist. And I would argue their theology, their beliefs in who God was, and their, their straying away from God's word. Well, pastor, we can't. We can't quote those scriptures. We, we don't talk about those. Those are offensive. Well, well, we can't touch on certain topics because certain topics, the world doesn't agree with them and we're not even allowed to, to speak about them. And what you see is that over time and over time within God's church, within his church, I'm not talking about outside, within his church, his people, his church leaders, 
They abandon God's word. They, they are literally leaving the faith. For what? They're trying to please or reach this world with a truth that's just, it's not even truth. And we wonder why the church is struggling within so many of these countries where the, the church used to flourish. I bring this up, church family, because I think it's important for us to realize that this can come to any church, to believers. This is something that I pray about so often. Lord, I do not want my theology in my own life to be bad. Lord, help me to study your word. Help me to know who you are. Help me to understand your biblical truth. Let me not lean on the ways of this world or get caught up in their thoughts within our culture. Our culture does not have biblical truths whatsoever. There's nothing within our culture that's like, well, this is, this is pretty biblical here. It's not there. It's only found within the study of God's word. And for us to keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds fixated on the word of truth, because this world will throw all sorts of different things at us, and it will even creep in within the church. Three-quarters believe that Jesus was created? I mean, guys, this is, there is theology here that is missing within churches. And I would just argue, church, we need to contend for it. I'm not saying to go outside of these walls, but as we talk, as we communicate with one another, we need to hold on to biblical truths, to hang on to God's word, because I do not want us to become like so many places around the world. They abandon Jesus as master and as Lord, Jude says, that they just leave him behind because they have a new revelation, or, or while well, we've got modern thoughts and we've got modern ideas and science disproves everything and we're all great and it's like you are leaving the faith behind and jude is making this argument church man you got to hang on to the faith the faith that is only found within god's word the faith that we have to hang on to lest we stray from it but i brought up his opening words as we stand, we love. We have mercy on others. We walk in the peace of God on our lives. We are his church. Church. We are his people. You are loved by him. You are found in him and you are kept for him. So as we contend, as we stand firm on God's word, we need to not forget who we are. That we are his people. You are loved by him. This is not a righteousness of your own. This is righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus and in him alone. And I hope that as we go through the book of Jude, I hope that we will just constantly keep this in our minds of who we are, who God is, that we need to be walking in a certain manner as we contend for the faith, as we stand firm in who God is and what God has done. Because church family, this world around us, within our, even within these walls, there are people in this room right now that need to understand the truth of the gospel, that this God who created you, who loves you, has come and died on that cross for you. He paid the ultimate price. For you and for me. And it is the glorious truth that we need 
to represent within us, but also to let this world know that they can be found in Christ and in Christ alone. And I would just, just simply challenge us, church, that as we go through the book of Jude, next week we're going to be, to, be, to be diving in even more, and he's going to be going over example after example. And it's going to be kind of harsh, and it's going to be a little bit confusing, but we're going to do our best to navigate to it. But, but don't worry. Jude is going to take a sad song, and what's he going to do? He's going to make it better. He's going to finish on a very, very high note. So I am excited about us going into the book of Buddha. Jude. I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And if they could uh, sing, the Lord is my salvation. Again, I think it's good for us to proclaim that one more time this morning. But let us pray. Father, we come to you. Lord, we recognize and we remember who we are this morning. Father, remind us this week of who we are in you. Father, may may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to us as we stand firm on the faith that we have in you. We proclaim your word. We trust you. Father, remind us of who we are. Father, I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Jude, don't make it better. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her into your heart. Then you can start to make it better Hey you Don't be afraid You're made to go out and get her The minute you let her under your skin Then you begin to make it better